Podcast where two buds talk trash about how their favorite shows begin. We're the two buds. I'm Alex. And I'm Ethan. So, uh, some of you may have noticed, maybe, possibly, uh, back in June, Mayish, we took like a month off. There was some adjustment no. stuff happening. What? I know. No. And mm. and um, when this episode releases, it's probably gonna release in September, I think. Based off of the math, yes, that checks out. So, further math, right? Word problems. The last time Ethan and I really recorded was May. Based between the b- recordings between previous episode and this episode, it's been about two months. Yeah. Ew. It's rough. <laughs> so, um, welcome. It's basically a re-repilot. <laughs> we, we joked about how we had a mid-season finale, but then we realized on our RSS feed we've only had two episodes released. Yeah. Oh, gosh. You guys are ready for it. Buckle up. So just pretend that this is smooth sailing, um, except that it gets worse in the best way, because Ethan's a little lit right now. I'm a little litty. Just a little toasty. Just a little bit. A little mellow. Uh, If you folks don't understand the uh, consequences of going down a river for two and a half hours and how much alcohol you can have in that time period, you know, you're missing out. I I would say if you live in a valley and you have rivers and you have tube devices, bring out some alcohol and uh, enjoy yourself. That's all I can say right at this point in time. You sound very sober. Thank you. (laughs) Definitely not trying to pretend like I'm more sober than I am. Couldn't tell. Could not tell whatsoever. Seemed very natural. (laughs) (sighs) Normally, we have like a couple of beers in between these recordings i'm actually drinking water right no. now <laughs> okay let's move on so uh as a way you know it's 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 a shame about nsr but we're still doing our thing and maybe in honor of nsr it's not because we had this plan back in january of 2020 before the world lit itself on fire we knew we were going to come up with this episode this episode's theme is dysfunctional families so I made Ethan watch one of my favorite shows, which I said that a lot, maybe, but like one of my favorite shows, The United States of Terra. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a show like I've heard like the title of, but I haven't actually heard the premise or seen the show, obviously, based off of the podcast we're doing. But uh, and then I requested Alex to watch a show called, you may have heard of it, called Shameless. I like the giggle. I had thoughts. <sighs> mm. let's let's just jump yeah, into it yeah let's just dive into the episodes that we assigned each other so um who do you want to do first well ethan here's the thing mm-hmm. i know for a fact that both of us watched this episode a week ago because not only was it like a yes. giant time between recordings we could not pick a day and stick to it for the life of us True story. We both had work and or other life events happening. So it's been about a week. And I, if 
you could see our screens. You could see I was trying to rewatch it right before we recorded, and I only got 10 minutes into it. So one person has an hour-long mm-hmm. episode versus the other person only has 20 minutes, give or take. 30 minutes. Of course, I'm the one with the hour-long show. I'm not sh- <sighs> On brand. Yeah. Um, and I just, I haven't mm-hmm. rewatched mine because I really didn't like Shameless. Spoiler, I did not like Shameless. I do have four pages worth of notes, which what? is a first record. I feel like I definitely pushed the envelope with this show because I knew, like, one, it's an entertaining show throughout the entire season, but I have that, you know, feedback versus Alex is just watching the first episode and just trying to decipher. (laughs) And I'm excited to see if she recognized some key actors and sees if she uh, gets the fucking anime references in half of this shit, but... We'll see. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm going to say probably not. Mm. Oh, don't you worry. I'll bring it up. So you fucking nerd. Why don't we just why don't we just start with you? You Okay, I'll I'll start with some opinions. I do. And since it's going to be even like a worse version of me telling the story, (laughs) because I'm not even going to try to pretend like I know what I'm just going to go line by line with what I thought the plot was through my notes. Sure. Sure. That's the best way to do it. Sure. We'll find out. Okay. There might be a few segues I have about, like, plot stuff, but I also think I kind of just enjoy the idea of reading these bullet points. Just do it. I don't even remember how it starts. How does it start? What's the (laughs) first scene? I think I actually do remember. I was almost going to skim over it. Mm -hmm. It is a real cold open of Frank, the dad, going through, like, I have this wonderful family, and goes and introduces everyone in the family and the neighbors. Mm -hmm. So... Frank is the father. Fiona is the oldest daughter. Clearly the mother replacement. Lip, full name Philip, is honorable, but being chased by cops in a cutscene. Ian has a work ethic, wants to be a paratrooper. Carl, this is um, oldest to youngest, by the way. Mm-hmm. Carl is a psychopath in training. Clearly he like, kidnaps a cat and tries to put it on fire. Yeah. Debbie <laughs> that is- doesn't age well. <laughs> No, no, not at all. <laughs> Debbie is clearly my favorite. She is a con woman in training. Uh, there is Liam, who is a wee baby, like not even talking, running around in diapers. Uh, the only black baby in this very, very Irish white family. Uh, Irish Catholic. <laughs> Irish Catholic. And uh, clearly the, ex, the, the ex-wife and Frank's sponsor's kid. There's Kevin and Veronica, who are the next door neighbors, who are super fucking kinky. And there's a few more cast of characters, but like that's that that is everyone we're talking about. And we meet almost every single fucking one of these people. Almost everyone mm-hmm. here has a plot line throughout this this 48 minute show. And when I say it's 48 minutes long, it felt like a decade, Ethan. It was rough. Okay. You're welcome. It's showtime. So throw my showtime. Notebook. That means it's <laughs> even though it's 48 minutes, it feels like 59. It's awful. Okay, so. Mm, caveat i'm gonna keep saying it's awful it is just not my brand of show i can see why people like it we'll fucking get there okay bullet points here we go fiona's waking up the family at 7 15 family all paying for electricity at the dinner table watering down the milk they are clearly all very poor all the kids are working debbie has to take the baby to school because fiona is covering a job for a friend at a uh what's uh fuck fuck we used to do this for demolaying shit um concessions concessions thank you mm-hmm and then there's some shitty asshole who's like, would you bang that? Talking about Fiona and his friend's like, only if I double bagged it. Fucking dick. <laughs> oh, keyword was project girls just like to make sure that they get pregnant. 
There it is. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, yep. Again, in case you can't tell, these people are not well off. They are doing their best to survive. Mm-hmm. Let's just do a nice hard cut to my next line, which is, Lip is getting a blowy from Karen. Lip is doing some tutoring. Yeah, <laughs> Ethan's I... just like face lit up with joy because oh. there's... <laughs> oh, man. Karen. I cannot tell you how much of a character Karen is through like the next three to four seasons, but you think she's just like... A throwaway. Yeah, throw away. No, she's definitely in this show. I will tell you that much. And when the show started off with the scene, I was like, oh, throwaway character. But by the end, when you're just getting the scene alone with her and her parents, I'm like, oh, she's a real character. Why mm-hmm. would you include her without the main cast otherwise? Speaking of which, who is her mother? Fuck, I didn't look up her name, but I know. That is Ms. Joan Cusack, who is uh, John Cusack's uh, sister or wife. Uh, <laughs> those are two very different mm, things even. yeah two things it, it fits with the story it's fine but yeah she is a great mother in this entire show ish ish and, ish. and so like the whole reason he's getting a blowjob from this girl karen is that he is tutoring to get money for the family and apparently science turns on karen so she, while mom is making them drinks or food or what something at some point uh, she goes under the table and gives him a blowjob hooray Next scene we get, and when I say these are scenes, some of these are so fucking quick, guys. Like, they are mm-hmm. just flashing through. I barely had enough time to write this. Like- there is literally so much stuff that's happening in this show, and it's only like a 50-minute episode, but there's so much shit that happens. And I rewatched it, too, and I was like, oh my god, I don't remember all, like, half the shit happening. I've already been talking five minutes, and this is just the first five lines. Do you understand? Yeah. Like, this is this show. So, um, and, and I guess in a comment of, like, how fast the show moves and the amount of information you're getting, at first I wasn't sure how I felt about it. And I, mm-hmm. I came to a point where I realized I think it's on purpose because this family mm-hmm. is so dysfunctional. It really adds to the chaos that the family is going through, even when it's not seen as the family as a whole. It's a true ADD dysfunctional like family. Like, okay, we're 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 doing this. We're paying bills. We're you know living our life. We're doing all this shit. I'm snapping at while well, I'm doing that. I apologize. Oh, I, <laughs> I was earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but it also reminds me of Fully Cooley, and that was something I really enjoyed about Fully Cooley was that like insane pacing that it had. And once I connected that, mm-hmm. okay, no, this was a purposeful decision. Maybe not one I agree with, but it was a purposeful decision. I still would have really liked to see this episode be spread out between two or three. I just, there was a lot going on. So much. <laughs> Let me continue. So Fiona's going out. She has a dress on. Veronica comes over and she's like, no, no, the dress, the, the tag, it's still on. She's like, don't worry, I have a tag gun. We'll put it back on when we get back. Lip finds out as he's putting away money or something in a dresser drawer, he finds gay porn. It belongs to Ian. So then Fiona's at the dance club. This is how fast the fucking show moves. Fiona's at the dance club. She mm-hmm. is dancing. There's some creepy guy watching her, who I later find out is actually, I have his name, Josh Wilson. No, not Josh Wilson. Josh Wilson is his name in Weeds. Anyways, he was in Weeds. And I actually quoted uh, him. Justin, Justin, Chatwin, Justin Chatwin, a.k.a. Steve. Yes, Steve. I just want to say, I, I'm probably going to retweet it at this point on our First Twitter, which, by the way, hey, we have that uh, at yes, First we and do. Friends. Hooray. Huzzah. But yeah, totally quoted Josh Wilson. Uh, and no one got it, which was super unfortunate. But uh, <laughs> so Fiona's dancing. This guy comes up, starts grinding up on her and decides to steal her purse. He takes off. Steve tries to chase after him, runs into a waitress instead. Glass everywhere. Drinks everywhere. Oh, ha, 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 it's fine, though, because Veronica and Fiona are flirting with this cute Steve guy. 
They try to get back into the bar after they chase the guy with the purse, uh, but the bouncer is being a dick because they don't have stamps on their hand. So Steve decides to throw a fight with this bouncer, who we later find out as he's as, as Steve is taken home that this bouncer is a fucking badass scary dude who has like, gone to jail and killed his father over something really minor. I didn't even write, the, write it down. But Steve's a dead man walking at this point. Steve gets to meet like the entire household. Great. Neighbors discuss. Oh, nope, nope, nope. Don't care about that. I'm just, I'm just going to... I only have that Steve's a creep. Has been eyeballing uh, Fiona for like a month. <laughs> and was like, not like stalking her, but like happened to be at the same club and has been like, oh my god, the one that got away. Uh, and then they end up uh, fucking on the kitchen sink and the kitchen floor. And super choice, really good. Uh, the kitchen is disgusting, by the way, which I say is obvious because in a family situation like this, there's not a lot of time to for house maintenance when you're just trying to fucking survive. Uh, someone knocks on the door. Shocker, it's a cop. And oh yeah, they're bringing in drunk Frank, who just gets like dropped on the floor. Steve leaves. Who plays Frank? Oh, it is, I actually wrote that one down, William H. Macy, who the only thing I fucking know him from is Fargo. Yep. So, again, I know he's like a big actor, but also kind of funny that he's been in Mm. a lot of stuff, but Fargo. This was a very big role for him because he like has like five Emmys from this like role as Frank, which is just a terrible person. So, you know. Apparently, uh, between this, I actually refer to the show as a sad It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia because it's a lot about a lot of people not doing great things. But this is like the sad version. Where are we located with this TV show? It's New York. Mm -mm. No. Chicago. Oh. We're in like the. No, we're in the slums of Chicago. Gotcha. Okay. Mm hmm. So it's almost always sunny. <laughs> it, it basically is. Just always sunny, but like real always sunny. <laughs> uh, okay, pushing through, pushing through. So Steve leaves. It's super awkward. Next day, Fiona goes to work, question mark. She's going to the hotel cleaning, but there's like some kind of interaction there where it's like, I can't really tell if it's actually her job or if she's just doing some work and the lady's paying her. And she's also like stealing toilet paper and shit because yes. you got to do what you got to do to survive. Yep. Very next scene, Frank's at the bar. He's handing over a phony disability check and just cashes it out behind the bar. Steve comes back. Yay! Asks her out again. Her being Fiona. By the way, she's like leaning on her broken ass dryer at this point. Uh, like they literally have to like prop it or lean against it for it to work. Stabilize, yeah. And she's like, mm, no, actually, I'm not that into you. But it's more like that you shouldn't be into me because you're really cute. And this is it's never going to work out. I'm not interested. He's like, okay, well, should you ever change your mind? Here's my phone number. Leave the phone number. At this point, Philip is trying to convince his brother that he's not gay decides to get him a blowjob from Karen. So they go over, and Ian gets a blowy from Karen. Yay! Yay. But then, <laughs> her Uh-oh. dad catches them in the act. An apple drops, he kneels under the table, or kneels to pick it up, sees her under the table, flips the table, the boys run out. Ian's able to get out the front door, Lip has to jump out the top, the top floor, and definitely fucks up his foot. They lied to Fiona about where they came from, said they were hopping turnstiles. Not what happened, obviously. Then there's another knock at the door as things are kind of going buck wild. Oh yeah, by the way, Veronica is was a nurse in training. She knows a lot about medical stuff, but also uh, she got kicked out of medical school when she was stealing medical supplies. So she knows a lot. For, she was trying to become a nurse, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So they, they go to see who the fuck's outside, and it is a free dryer. Yay, Steve. Way to continue being a weird creep. And then, oh, goodness, what is this? Oh, oh, so it's important. I wrote Naked Penis. There's a reason. So as they're trying to, 
the fix Lip's foot, Veronica sends Ian Ian over to their place to go get medical supplies and a, and a pack of cigarettes. He goes to pick up the pack of cigarettes, and there is Kevin fucking full-ass naked, which I p- took a point to say because this was made ten years ago. Sing penis. Unheard of. Right before Game of Thrones. Yep. Showtime mm-hmm. did it first. <laughs> Simpsons did it. <laughs> God, I hope not. I hope not either. <laughs> And there's like this, uh, I say sexual tension, it's not. It's just Ian, who's clearly into men, and Kevin, who's fucking drunk or something, and he's like, hey, give me a cigarette. Yeah, sure, bud, here you go. This is a totally normal thing to ask a kid when you're naked. Mm -hmm. Just Um, dudes hanging out with dudes. Just dudes being guys. (laughs) So, uh, the next scene we get is Karen. Karen's house, the dad leaves. He's collecting all these creepy clowns that are around the house. The mom's like trying to get them to stay. The daughter's like, fuck you, whatever, we're better off without him. Dad leaves. Kind of a piece of shit, it seems like. Next scene. Fiona calls Steve. I, I thought it said Flint. Flirt. So they're bantering. And then <laughs> that's all I wrote. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Is that when they meet each other at the train station? This is when they meet each other at the restaurant. She does have a sit-down dinner. Or no, they do have the fight, and then they meet at the train station, and then they have dinner, if I recall correctly. There's a lot of pacing. No, not yet. Not yet. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of <laughs> um, pacing. Okay. Just, oh my god! It's like the worst, the worst kind of pacing because all these are like happening in like thirty seconds to a minute. They're they're honestly, really fast. I thought like Edgar Wright like had done this like first episode or something. Like just based off of the pacing itself, I was like, oh, we're going here, 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 and I'm I was like just waiting for the whiz noises. Just like <laughs> the the important difference of an Edgar Wright film is that there tends to be the focus of objects. Yep, and hands. That's Not this. The, it's, no, no, this is mm-hmm. just scene, scene, scene. So. Then you see Ian at work at a, con- a convenience store, and it's a Muslim couple, but it's a white woman who has married someone of Eastern heritage and someone who has converted to the Muslim church, but also seems like the husband isn't going to church very often, and she seems very neurotic and high maintenance and like he trying was to get him pork to- rinds, and she was very pissed off at that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that's, like, the only scene you get. So, you know, uh, Ian and his boss are fucking. Like, I knew immediately in that moment. I'm like, oh, nice. They're fucking. So they were then too we cool have... to hang out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's weird. I was like, ooh, that was, that was a weird too moment. Um, so then Fiona has a heart-to-heart over Frank's sleeping body with Ian later that night. Ian's, like, you know, throwing stuff at his dad's sleeping body. And he's like, I think dad hates me. She's like, mm, you just look more like mom than the rest of us. And they kind of have this thing going back and forth have this thing where he kind of accuses her of like, well, you need to feel like you're wanted and, or you need to like always be taking care of somebody else. And she's like, yeah, it makes me feel wanted. And it seemed to be kind of like an okay moment. Then as soon as Ian leaves, she just like kind of breaks down crying. Well, Ian says a line like, that's sad. You don't need to feel valued by your base to be needed and stuff like that. Yes. And it's a very valid point. A hundred percent. I feel like I'm skimming over a lot of like these really good points, mm-hmm. but forgive me. Like, There's we so can... much. <laughs> Let's see here. So she tries to wake up her dad and it's kind of like yelling at him. And then eventually Mayim's like, hey, Fiona, thank you so much for taking care of the house. You're welcome, dad. And then just leaves him. And then this is like one of my favorite small moments that happened. You see Debbie come down the stairs with a mm-hmm. pink pillow and puts it under her dad's head and says, I love you, daddy, and leaves. And this is what I wrote the mark. My God, it's only been 20 minutes of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will tell you this. Debbie and Carl are obviously the youngest other than like uh, Liam. 
mm-hmm. kid wise. So they still have a parental like connection to Frank. The rest know how Frank is. Like this is not a regular occurrence where he's just passed out on the floor and everything. They they know what he does. <laughs> And I think that's such a good way of showing it too, without showing not telling, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's showing a child innocence of mm-hmm. when your parents are sick, you want to take care of them, or when mm-hmm. your parents are sleepy, you you want to. They mirror behaviors, right? So mm-hmm. that's the other I think important thing. Let's just talk a little bit about that. <sighs> Children mirror so many behaviors. So for Debbie to do that means either the dad or Fiona has done something similar before, or the mother that's not in the picture right now. Fair. And I guess I, I they seem like young to have seen or like really connected in that way. But mm-hmm. since I don't know the mom, I guess I can't speak to that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that means there was at least at one point someone who cared enough about Frank or cared enough about the kids. Not that these kids are going uncared for. They're just again, trying to survive to mirror that behavior. Mm-hmm. Based off the children, you know, Liam is a African-American child. Yes. And... Frank, obviously, in the first, like, ten minutes of the narration says he's his kid, but he just seems to have a a darker complexion. Yeah. (laughs) What are your thoughts on that? (laughs) I think that, like, and particularly the way the one gets said, it's like, oh, yeah, no, uh, looks a lot like my sponsor after him and my ex-wife were hanging out a lot. For me, the line, like, this is my kid, I think Mm -hmm. Frank does care about his family. I really do. I just think that he just has his own set of circumstances that makes Mm -hmm. it really hard to be a successful parent. Mm -hmm. I will say this, like, the entire show is based on the principle of family. And so it's interesting to see how that's played out throughout the entirety of it. That's fair. 20 minutes in. Okay. (laughs) Don't worry. I'll be shorter, I promise. (laughs) I'm trying so hard, too. Oh, man, there's so much. Next day. Call Steve. You dance for yourself. Oh, yeah. She's she's asking, uh, Fiona's asking Steve, like, why the fuck do you like me? Like, this makes no sense. And so, yeah, he's like, well, it's it's because you dance for yourself. Uh, I remember the first time I saw you, she's like, prove it. If you really saw me, like, what was I wearing? He explains in crazy detail what she was wearing. And then also talks about her friend. And she's like, oh, well, my friend's so much cuter, so much hotter than me. Uh, yeah, maybe. But, like, also you're more genuine. And she was performing, but you were dancing for you. And you make me want to enjoy life again. And this is what I audibly barf. I was like, <laughs> Because, Ethan, I hate this fucking thing that guys do. I say guys, people in general, when they're trying to be romantic, it's like, I'm a better person. Or you make me want to be a better person. Or life is so much better with you. You inspire me to be the better person. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I... <sighs> I'm not a person without you in my life. <laughs> For me, well-intentioned, easily manipulative. Yep. And I think there's ways to have those sentiments. And I just, I just, don't say that shit out loud, man. Because if something, God forbid, should happen. Alex is audibly, like, and visually just, like, putting her face in in her notebook. Just like, I can't handle this. Just like, no. I loathe it. Loathe it. Because you shouldn't be finding enjoyment in people. Make yourself happy through other stuff. Don't use people. Don't do it. Oh, because they were on the phone. This is the thing I was talking about. Okay, and then suddenly they were, like, running around on the subway. Like, there was no fucking conjecture. It was just they were on the phone, and then suddenly Steve's on the subway. I'm like, is everything mm-hmm. okay? Is this a different show? Are we watching some kind of monster movie now? No, no, no. They just happened to meet, happen, 
I don't know. I don't fucking know, Ethan. They just have this like internal sunshine. She just and said, spotless "Meet me mind. at the train track." Yeah, you just you have to assume as an audience, and I think that was a bad assumption to make because you're just like, okay, sounds good. What do you not spare another thirty seconds for that? <laughs> and so then they go to a fancy dinner date. Mm-hmm. Which immediately they do a good job of like, wow, Fiona's really stands out. Steve is pretty well dressed and drives a nice car and is well put together. She, by the way, this show clearly made late 2000s the late 2000s fashion in this was very very good the short sleeves with the striped long shirts mm-hmm. just the chill vibes yep. oh god it was good this was actually the show came out in 2011 i i have a confession mm-hmm. my friend made me watch this pilot when the show first came out mm. so i have seen this technically technically but it in you 2011 black, but you blacked it out <laughs> i didn't like it then either <laughs> Uh, I can't remember what episode it was earlier this this season for us, uh, but I mentioned like, oh man, there's a show coming up that I did not want to watch. Yeah, did not want to watch. Did not want to watch. This was it because I had it. seen it and I did not like it. Yes, my revenge for Midnight Texas. <laughs> yes, there's no fa- there's no facial hair to judge on this one though. Oh my goodness. Okay, so they're like having this. It seems really nice, and then suddenly it goes really poorly, where he starts accusing her of uh, not liking him because he's rich, and then turns into him assuming, like, speaking for her, like, why do I only date guys that treat me like shit? Is it because I don't think I deserve to be treated well? It's the guessing game, yeah, like, here, let me let me make a few assumptions that you're having in your head right now. It's like, okay, you're not psychic, it's general composure that they're displaying, so... And it's just a dick about it, too. Like, mm-hmm. isn't nice. Just kind of mean. And she also has, like, I maybe have described this very poorly. She does not seem to have a long fuse when it comes to, like, temper stuff. Particularly outside her family. Mm-hmm. Like, inside the family, lots of patience. Outside, nope, snapping. Which makes sense right. when you're under that much fucking pressure. Mm-hmm. So he's like, okay, well, let's leave. But actually, hang on a second. I need to hang back to pay the bill. You go outside. Cool off. She's like, fine, whatever. And this is when he hands off some money to the waitress. And they have this conversation of, oh, is he is so-and-so going on break? Yep. Okay. And they do this handoff thing where he ends up getting the valet's jacket mm-hmm. and walks right by Fiona, gets into a very expensive car, drives off, <laughs> calls her, and is like, yeah, I'm rich. I, yes, I sell cars, uh, but I also steal but cars. But it's not <laughs> legally selling cars. <laughs> And so you find out, well, this guy has been kind of presenting himself as this clean-cut rich guy, maybe doing this pretty woman thing. No, no, no. He's just a scummy. It just has a clean-looking reputation about him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so do you want to have some fun? Hell yeah! So she gets in the stolen car and they go for a joyride. Next scene, Lip is helping Karen board up a window. And then he asks her, hey, by the way, did my brother get hard? Totally normal conversation to have. And she's like, mm, have you ever tried playing pool with a rope? So, no. Next scene, Frank is home, is sober, and like it's like this fish lens view of through the new dryer, and him like walking back and forth, and like, wait, what is this? What is this thing? Next scene, because <laughs> this is just the speed of the transitions. We're almost done, folks. <laughs> oh, by the way, after um, Steve running around on the subway, I said, holy fuck, there's 10 seasons of this show? I was done. <laughs> so let's see here. Lip then goes to the convenience store, catches... Ian and his boss, his name is Cash, a fucking, he doesn't see it, but he hears it. And then they come out and they're trying to put stuff away. And turns out they have 
each other's shoes. So like they're each wearing a mismatched shoe. I was going to say, I don't think it was necessarily that lip catching or hearing them as much as he was just like, hey, they have each other's shoes on. Interesting. <laughs> See, and I'd argue different. I'd argue since the audience heard noises, that he would mm, heard noises. I'm not saying that they were fair. super obvious, like, ooh, baby, fuck me. I'm just saying that mm. there were some... There were some There were some weird stalking noises, like they were stalking this convenience store, and it's like, oh, hey, man, we didn't see you there. It's like, I, I literally yelled out five times your guys' names to see if you were here in the store. Stalking noises? Is that how you stalk stores, Ethan? Yeah, I guess. You know, some bags here and there and just some bottles clinking. I don't know. There were like distinctive grunts. I will tell you <laughs> this in later episodes with some of the same people and some of the not same people. A lot of people are banging behind the refrigeration, like in the actual cooler. And you hear bottles clinking like <laughs> like systematically. And you're okay. like, OK, so we know what's happening. Gotcha. Yeah, there's a scene where someone sees someone through like, <laughs> like the beer bottles, like, hello, boys, and like <laughs> walks away. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Lip like throws a fucking shit fit over this. And, and mm -hmm. which is to say something because Ian's clearly a, a minor and Cash is clearly mm -hmm. a married adult with two kids. So it is mm -hmm. creepy. Cash is like 25, 28 at this point, <sighs> I would say, maybe. Or maybe 35, who's to say? I would say, I would probably branch on 35. He's a very closest. handsome man, but still makes it weird and creepy. Mm-hmm. So, the next scene is Ian and Lip. Ian and Lip are back in the room. It's nighttime, and Ian is fucking... Or not Ian. But then they both end up being pissed. Ian and Lip are both pissed off at each other. And start saying shit, and Lip, I think, really is coming out at... Again, while he took his possibly gay brother to go get a blowjob to turn him straight, I think a lot of this doesn't necessarily come from homophobia, which is like how it really gets pitched in the beginning, but comes from a place of caring mm -hmm. for his brother and wanting to make sure that he's safe. So like mm -hmm. in this case, it's like, hey, do you realize how fucking creepy it is that he's buying you stuff? Like, this is weird. And uses a or uses a he uses a term that does not hold up well, so I'm not going to say it. But... It just is, it's, it's very much a weird way of showing care. Again, I'm not going to say it's appropriate, but. It's, it's a very dated reference. Like even like three seasons into the show, it's like very dated stuff. I'm like, <laughs> I do not feel comfortable <laughs> watching this half the time, but I still watch it because it's trash. It's trash. So. Uh, and, but like, so the big thing is like, he buys you stuff. So doesn't that make you feel gross? He's like, you don't get it. I buy him stuff too. I buy him CDs so that way he can like the same stuff that I do so he can think of me. So clearly Ian is way over his head in some motions with this this older man. Ian is like, think at this point, like 14 yeah, or 15. He's young. And it's like, and Lip is like the second oldest and he's like 17. Like, so you definitely get the vibes of a senior in high school or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then like in this fight, Ian insists that lip go and apologize to cash because like what he did was disrespectful and rude and i think there's an element there right like he did not act mm -hmm. the most mature about this he was not but then i think of that and i remember sure. cash is a goddamn adult i think he reacted fine yeah so then our next scene is see fiona come home after the joyride and they see frank on the dryer and this beautiful fucking pose and i can't remember whatever line he gives it's like someone's been eating from my porridge or some like <laughs> yeah it's like 
someone's been eating from my porridge and it's too cold or some shit and, like and yeah. uh this is like the first time i read a good note frank is a great fucking actor william h macy holy shit like the fact that he told me he won five enemies like, like oh said. easily episode one uh, done donezo yeah very good it's a very good drunk. and do you see <laughs> like you see kind of like possessiveness happening with frank and maybe it's that pride like oh you think with you, you have to buy us a fucking dryer but then the next scene is all three of them getting drunk, smoking pot, and partying. And kind of having this philosophical thing. And you'll find out a little bit more background about the family. Like that, uh, when the wife ran off, so did the dad for a period of time. And just, like, left the kids alone completely. And he tries to pass it off of, like, a, mm -hmm. a nervous break or anything like that. And she's like, nope. She being Fiona. Nope, you left us. Completely. Just, just left us alone. And you see these moments of where he, Frank's trying to soften it as he's trying to pitch it to Steve. And uh, Fiona's there to kind of keep him in check, but also at some point takes a big step back. And she just does more of like the look to the camera than the camera that's being Steve of like, don't trust this. This is nope. Mm -mm, mm -mm, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's this is this smells like bullshit because. Yes, it is and they talked about how he has these funny disability checks and he was working at a plant and. Mm -hmm. He got he got hit with something. And so he has disability leave, even yes. though it's been like three there, there's years. There's someone who was following him around. <laughs> And, like, he just doesn't give two shits about it. Mm -hmm. um, and then they're playing, mm -hmm. I can't remember the song, but it's something from 70s, 80s. It's a classic song. And playing it really loud. And then Veronica and Kevin jump in. And they're like, listen, old man, if you're going to be playing shit this loud this late at night, at least it's going to be shit that we want to listen to. Yep. And then you get some LMFAO shots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin and V come in and they're like, listen, man, if you're going to play this shit, like, this loud, we're going to play the music we want to listen mm -hmm. to. Yep. And I just love that it's LMFAO shots. Because <laughs> it was 2011. Yes, it was. That was primo college for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's see here. Then the next thing, the next thing we have, we're almost done. Ian is gone in the morning. Lip uh, grabs the porn, finds him in a, a car, a vehicle, smoking, and kind of teases him. Like, oh yeah, so this is what you like, huh? This is weird. How's it even work? Ha ha ha. And it gets awkward, but then they end up having this kind of heart to heart. Like, okay, was there anyone before Cash? Like, how long has this been going on? And like, he kind of discussed this other guy that he was with, and it quickly goes from like what the whole episode was building up was a very homophobic. I'm not really concerned. Just just this this brother who was desperately wanting like his mm -hmm. his little brother to be straight, mm -hmm. and once he really accepts this, this is this is just who his brother is, is able to like join him for a cigarette bullshit and i think this conversation itself there's no like sometimes you see it or you experience it of people like okay yeah i guess we'll talk about this and there's like that hint of awkward i think that the dynamic between the two of them was very honest and genuine and like if it was uncomfortable yeah. just because clearly this is the first time that ian's really been talking about it with anyone and lip is trying to be gentle about it but there isn't mm -hmm. like uh do i have to talk about this they they have a very good levity about it because Lip knows, you know, Lip's kind of digging into it, trying to make humor of it because that's what a big brother does is just dish on it. And Ian's like deflecting in a good way. That's like, well, I mean, you know, you do this, this and this. And how is that not gay? <laughs> and he's like, and then they just like nuggy each other at the end or something like that. Brothers being brothers. Yeah. And so we, our very last scene we have in the show as you see Steve making breakfast. Mm -hmm. And Fiona comes down 
and it's like the whole family's there. All the kids are at the table. He's serving up pancakes. And he's like, yeah, I woke up early and there is Debbie and she's telling me about how much she loves pancakes or how much she loves breakfast. And it just seemed like since it's her birthday, it's not fair to let her have breakfast. Everyone's like, what? What? It's Debbie's not your birthday. And she's just like, I said I wished it was my birthday. So I she I, I can't remember any of the other like small cons she's doing throughout the show, but there's two or three that you hear of. Oh, They're like, yeah. oh yeah, what a what a good kid learning the the ways mm-hmm. of life. And so they're all they all join us at the table. They're laughing. They're having a good time. And the camera, the camera slowly fades back, and you see Frank on the ground. Like Steve has to lift up his leg so he can sit down, and Frank has mm-hmm. the pink pillow under his head. And that's in the middle. Of it's the right kitchen. in the middle of the kitchen. And that's episode one. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so <laughs> I screamed about most of the stuff I didn't like. I'm guessing from your analysis and just even your commentary on the episode that you absolutely loved this that this was your favorite show ever i have zero intention of watching anything else about this so people can give me all the spoilers they want because zero fucking intention and i say that and i think a big part of this and what i identified while was watching this comes from my place of privilege i grew up in a pretty well upper middle class family uh, while we had our mm-hmm. struggles, they weren't remotely anything in the same park as this. Everyone's, and mm-hmm. I don't want to do this like in a subjective way. Like someone's stuff, life is much worse. We all go through our own stuff. Yes, some some situations are going to be a lot harder on the human psyche. Mm-hmm. It's just that in the situation, I know their life. While sure, dramatized for TV, also is really some people's lives. Some yeah. people are really going through that every single day. There is definitely some exaggeration with the stuff that they do on the side, especially as the show progresses. They just have to like continually amp it up and yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> it's it's my same feeling on like reality television and stuff like that. Like there's I mean, people enjoy the show for those reasons with the drama, but at the same time I'm like this is like left field ballpark like there's so much stuff going on in the show that it's like okay you're doing dealing with this 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 and this and then yeah there's just so much going on in their lives you're like wow they can't get like a break whatsoever like people like even just on any level of like either financial or social levels have at least some sort of a breather between this but like you said like we're only 20 minutes into this episode and we're like, oh my God, like, how do you deal with this? And and I guess the reason I bring that up is, uh, again, maybe not everyone who watched a show grew up in a project, not everyone who watched this show experienced that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But I think there's an element of, I'd be willing to wager that a lot of people who like this show probably experienced some levels of this, mm-hmm. uh, which is my turn. Hey, Ethan, welcome to my mental health corner. <laughs> oh we're gonna talk about that later oh, too, oh yeah sure. yeah this is maybe why i was really excited about this episode so yeah um let's talk about parentification just real mm-hmm. real brief i'm not gonna go on for forever we? about it yeah uh in, in mm-hmm. case our, our dear dear listeners are, are unaware parentification is a lot what it sounds like it's when the child is put into a role where they have to act like a parent either towards themselves to the siblings or more often towards their parents and this is not great for a developing human brain. Basically, what ends up happening, particularly in the use of parents, parents use their kids for emotional or practical support, which we see, uh, particularly the 
uh, practical support when all the kids in the show are putting in money for electrical. That should not be a kid's responsibility in our current culture. That is to say, a hundred years ago, kids were going, not even a hundred years ago, right? Barely. Kids were Mm -hmm. going to work. And we have farming kids, too, who go to work. And it really is a recent modern idea for kids to not contribute to the household. But we have learned that this is not conducive to the human brain and to development. So you also might think, wow, it kind of is, is, is a good thing, though, to teach kids these responsibilities so young. They mature faster. They're able to adjust the situations better. They can handle what life's going to throw at them sooner. Mm, wrong. Yes, but no. Yes, but with consequences. <laughs> what it ends up doing is it creates chronic stress, depression, feelings of guilt, shame, uh, unrelenting worry, and they tend to compulsively overwork from a young age just to support their family. Which leads to an inability to trust others, involvement in unhealthy relationships, a greater risk for substance abuse disorders, and even an inability to function independently. So sometimes it's so much, you get like the two spectrums, right? You'll get the people who are like, I will never, ever have to help another human being again, because I had to do that from ages five to 19. And then you have people who don't Mm -hmm. know how to function unless they're helping other people, which also isn't good. (laughs) Funny story. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's just dive into this. I remember when I first watched this episode, when I watched the pilot originally, like, again, I took a break from the show because like season two, like really hit some points for me that I was like, ah, I can't continue with this. And then Mm -hmm. after we watched this, I continued on. But that first episode, and then when Fiona says, when she's talking with Ian, like, you brushed by, but there was the moment where she's saying, you know, I need, you know, it makes me feel wanted. It feels like I'm important to the situation because she's taking care of anyone. And Liam is like, that sounds like really sad and really lonely. I was like, ah, that's, that's too close to home because I don't think I've talked about it on the show, but. I have a special needs brother, and at points in time in my life, I've been the eldest sibling, so I always had to take care of the two youngest, and at certain points in time, like, at the age of 11 or 12, like, I was left alone with the kids, and I was taking care of them like I was a parent, and so just seeing Fiona in that situation, I was like, hmm, um, hmm, emotions, don't like this, must bury it with other feelings or emotions, so... I get where Fiona's especially coming from, because at this point in time, she is like 19 or 21. Obviously, she's, well, she's 21, I guess, because she can get into the bars. I wouldn't trust her 21, but hey. (laughs) She can get into the bars, quote, legally in this situation. But, you know, she's taking care of so much stuff because of the situation with her family and everything like that. Like, because she has an alcoholic father and she doesn't have a mother figure here to help cover it. She has her friends and Kevin and V that are able to help cover, but they have their own things. Like, you know, she can go to them and be like, hey, can you help me out with this? Blah, 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 or like babysit. But they are, you know, just a supplement to the situation. They can't actually like be there fully for them. So it's an interesting like commune kind of like community just within like neighbors and just the projects, the neighborhood itself. It takes a village, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially with seven Gallagher siblings. <laughs> I, I guess I bring it up because in particular, as this term is trying to become a pop culture, a, a psych pop term, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's something that a lot of families do. And there's different variations, right? And mm-hmm. I, the important thing is 
if you are identifying in these elements, if you are able to seek out some resources, whether it's mm. going to a therapist, whether it's learning more about it online, learning more about what kind of consequences come from this, because you are not alone. This is a, is a very common thing that happens, mm. for better or worse. The show unfortunately dives into it a lot, too, like with this season and later seasons when the like this isn't there's a scene or an event later in the show where Frank and anyone else isn't available and they're all minors. So they actually have to start considering like the welfare of the family comes first. And so social services gets involved. And so they are split up. And mm -hmm. it's like this whole thing of like, yeah, they're used to it. They're so desensitized. They're like, oh, no big deal. Ian and Lip, they'll be sent off to like a, you know, since they're the closest siblings, they'll be sent off to a foster home. Mm -hmm. And then so-and-so will be sent. And then like Liam will be sent to another family. Like Liam, in the time that he's only like two months old, will be sent away. But then they face other situations like, well, Lip is 18 and Ian is too old to be in foster care. So they're going to be sent to like a correctional facility. And it's just like it cascades from there. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, they're so desensitized in the sense like, oh, no big deal. This will last like two weeks. We'll be put in a foster family situation and we'll be fine. And it's like, you're, you're cool with this. Like, you're not freaking out whatsoever until like, you know, the curveball is thrown. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Are you guys okay? No, they're not. <laughs> you're not. You're not. <laughs> they are not. But apparently you're so composed and so desensitized that you are stronger for it, which is compelling in its own sense, but it's it's an interesting concept. Oh my gosh, I wouldn't be able to handle this situation if like my family was distributed among like five other systems. You know. Ethan, I got another concept for you. Uh-oh. Okay, it's called resilience. And yeah, that's that's the word I was looking for. I was like, you have such resilience. <laughs> and it's 100% a thing. And the best way to think yeah. of resilience is that everyone has resilience. And it's like a rubber band. And resilience mm. is how much stress and strain and trauma you can handle in your life. How, much, how far can that band be stretched before it snaps? And sometimes you can go through that and it, you, you realize, okay, the band doesn't break. And you, bring, you can bring it back down. So um, just because mm -hmm. in one situation you're able to go super far with the rubber band doesn't mean the next time you pull it out. You'll be able to mm -hmm. go that far again. It's kind too stretched of, out. Yes. And I just, sometimes people think of resilience as like a total capacity, like a gas tank. And it's not like mm -hmm. that. It's just, it depends on the situation, depends on the elements and situation that's happening in your life. And so sometimes you could go, you could face that same exact situation over and over and over again. And you would still react differently depending on your stress levels and traumas, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So yeah, in this case, you, you look like, holy shit, how can you handle this? It's just that their resilience for that and that curveball was what broke that resilience. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Again, not everyone's resilience. Your resilience and my resilience aren't ever going to be the same. They're just right. completely different com abstract concepts. So Absolutely. I guess like the, summing up this uh, of the thing, I am not an expert on purification. I am not an expert on resilience. I have my bachelor's in psychology, my master's in criminal psych. So like I know some stuff, but I'm not licensed. <laughs> nice. But just yes. like, I want to introduce these concepts and that's because I know they are more common than we think they are. All I'm saying is that sometimes people hear these terms and think, oh, this has a name. So, hey, mm -hmm. this has a name. And what you're going through is, I'm not going to call it okay because I'm sure it feels really shitty. Just Google it, man. Google it. Learn about it. Take care of yourselves. Yeah. And so, yeah, that ends my, my big old talk 
Oh my god. So I just Okay, so so let's let's say this. Obviously you've stated your opinion on the show. Are you gonna continue it? No. no <laughs> Absolutely okay. fucking not. <laughs> what are your thoughts on what do you predict would happen in this show? What doesn't fucking happen? <laughs> three people die. Ten seasons, three people die. Probably. I don't I honestly don't know, because I'm like I said, I only, only stopped after the season two and once we watched this episode, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll continue to season three. So I've just finished season three. And oh my god, there's so much shit that happens. And I think John or or I think uh Karen's family. Karen's family is like so prominent in the first three seasons at least so far. And it's just interesting. What what do you predict for her family? Karen in particular and the father and the mother. What do you think would happen there? Ethan, I want to play in this space with you so bad. <laughs> I can't tell you how little I care. <laughs> like, I don't often walk away from a show. This will be spoiler. Let's let's just say this. Karen is such a manipulative bitch <laughs> that at a certain point in time, she fucks Frank. After fucking Liam and Ian, and the father, like, sure enough, just rolls his car in and just, like, ends it. Like, it is such a dumpster fire Holy of a shit. show. Yeah, and that's not even the worst part. Like, there's even worse parts of this show, but, like, that's season one in a bottle right there. And then... And I then can't. S- I just, Steve I Steve is not Steve. Steve is Jimmy. Oh, Okay, and we're going to end this with the fun trivia fact that I wanted to, that, that I alluded to in the beginning. Guess where um, uh, the actress that plays Fiona and the actor that plays Steve originally started their, I mean, before this, guess what they acted in before this show? Shit, I even looked at Steve's IMDb, but I could not tell you. So, uh, like I said, this show started in 2011. In 2009, there was a movie that came out called, that was a great trash of fire called Dragon Ball Evolution. Oh, God. Steve played Goku. (laughs) And Fiona played Bulma. Okay. And, I mean, again, for the weebs in the audience, just hearing the term Dragon Ball Evolution is just cringe fire right there. But, oh my God, this was such a terrible form of acting and i mean go back i'm gonna have that's your other homework you have to watch dragon ball evolution 10 minutes of it just 10 minutes of it and see where they have gone from acting in that to now when they're in this show and it's like oh my god they are so much better actors in this show than they are in that movie all right well i think let's do yours Yes, let's... Okay, so the show I had, obviously, just to recap, was United States of Terra. I had United States of Terra, and while I didn't have a whole bunch of notes when I first started, I tried to go back after a week and rewatch it and just have some notes, but I, I'll i just say this. I love the cast that they had for this entire show. It was amazing. So let's just start right off. Mine is a half-hour episode, so I can get this done in 10 minutes. Please Easy do. peasy. So... Uh, we had Tona Collette as Tara, who is a great actress. I love her in everything she does. And this was probably, I'm guessing, one of Brie Larson's first mm-hmm. roles as the daughter, because she's so young in this. I was really taken aback seeing her so young. Uh, this was created by Diablo Cody, who obviously did um, Juno and a couple of other things, Jennifer's body and everything else like that. So 
Love the the premise already so far. Basic premise for everyone that needs to know is we have a middle-aged mother who has a family and everything, but she actually has a... Oh, geez. You're, I'm probably going to need your help on this, on That's the okay. DMS uh, terminology, but I believe it is a disassociative uh, identity diso- disorder. Correct. So DID. Booyah. Points for me. <laughs> So she has DID, which causes her to have a bunch of alters or alternate personalities. And so her life is interesting, especially since she is a mother and has a family. So the first setup of the show is we have a video interview with Tara and she says she has about four minutes before she uh, shifts or transfers. And she's just expressing what is causing the issue right now, which is she finds out that her daughter has birth control in her backpack. Her daughter at this point in time is probably like 14 or 15 years old, and she's freaking out because her daughter is, you know, having sexual relations with people. And it's and she can't deal with it right now because she's doing a bunch of work for another pregnant woman who wants like a baby room that's like, Showing her as like, you know, you know, a saint or martyr and stuff like that. Because Tara's a painter. Yep. She's a painter. She does like, you know, a whole bunch of artistic stuff and is able to, you know, express that for people that pay a bunch of money. And then as she's taking the videotape out, you can see she's kind of rolling her eyes. She's blinking frequently. And this is her shift. And so... We're not sure who it is at first. Like, she just kind of, like, goes blank and then just walks out, starts taking off her underwear, starts just, like, stripping clothes because she doesn't like what she's wearing. Then the daughter, Kate, Brie Larson, comes in and is talking to her sex monkey, her boyfriend or whomever, and says, oh, shit, I gotta go because she hears loud music banging. And she's like, I just have to go. She gets up to her room and she sees uh, Tara just like changing clothes and is like oh shit t who let you out and t is the altar of a 15 year old girl in a middle-aged woman's body so she's like got the whale tail she's got the thong sticking out and everything the low-rise jeans and everything and it's just being like you know the cool if you didn't know it was like supposed to be a teenage girl it's like the cool mom that's trying to and this is tony just does such a good job of playing these different characters because she's just like, hey, bitch, what's up? And it's just like all over the place trying to be the cool kid. And there's something to say, too, about, uh, of course, I can't remember Brie Larson's character's name. Kate. Kate. There's something about how Kate comes into this like, oh, shit, to you. Like, you know, just so casual. Casual. Like, this isn't, it is not the first time. It will not be the last yep. time. This is Kate is a character who has, yep. is, is a person who has seen this happen <laughs> repeatedly and kind of yep. knows how to handle the situation. And T is like, hey, let's go shop for some slutty clothes and, and make us look like older than we actually are, even though she's old enough. And and Bree's Larson's character, Kate, is like, oh, I don't have the money. We can't do that. I can't drive. She's like, well, you can drive because I've already smoked a blunt at this point in time. But look who's got Tara's credit cards. <laughs> and she's like, this is why you're my favorite of the altars. So she even uses like the terminologies like, you know, they are on the same page. They go downstairs, they're getting ready to head out. We run into Marshall, who is the son, who is played by Keir Gilchrist, who actually plays one of my favorite actors in another show called Atypical. But in this, he's younger, it's a few years ago. And he's the son, and he's taking everything in stride too. And he's like, 
He's like, hey, mom. He's like, oh, not mom. And he's like, oh, hey, T. <laughs> and so he's like, okay, cool. And they're getting ready to go out. And Marshall's like, well, you should probably get going. And they're like, oh, we're just going to head out and have fun uh, before Max shows up, a.k.a. the husband. And Marshall's like, oh, too late. And Max, who's played by John Corbett, he, again, the only thing I know him from and I haven't even seen the whole movie, is from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. He's just got that generic, like, husband face and everything. But I know I know who he is. I've seen him in other things, but that's the only thing I can picture him from with the long locks of hair. I straight up, straight up, every time I see him, think he's the lead singer of Say Anything. Yeah, he he <laughs> has that look. And he comes in and he's like, oh, hey, T what what expects our visit and she's just like oh you know tara was stressed out so here i am and he's like oh yeah and it's probably because of her and points at kate and he's like well because they kate and t have already talked is like your mom found your (laughs) t is actually the one that bought the birth control pills for kate like when she was out last time it's like oh yeah your mom found the shit that i bought for you last time so so T is a good manipulative like teenage girl because she's like I know I'm in an older body so I'm just going to play the cards that I'm dealt with and just help whoever I like. Mm-hmm. And at this point in time Max shows up and then apparently Tara's daughter Char- Charmaine comes in who apparently runs the same company with Tara to do the painting and everything co- shows up because they were going to go to a class or you, something. You call called her daughter it's her sister sister sorry tara's sister shows up charmaine and they were apparently going to go to a class for whatever kind of like seminar or class or other charmaine is really put off by t being there and you know t does not apparently like charmaine calling her leather tits and other things (laughs) but like doesn't like her they don't get along charmaine obviously knows that what Tara's going through. She understands that this isn't a new thing. So this has been going on for quite some time. Charmaine takes Max to the garage and <laughs> T is like, oh, we're going to, you're going to get it. Get it, girl. Get it, boy. And and Max is like, I'll calm down. We get to the garage and Charmaine is just like, why do you guys have to deal with this? This is tough. I'm sorry. You guys have to deal with this. Charmaine is not totally bought on the idea that this is an actual disorder and Tara's really just acting or acting out, as it were, rather than this being an actual medical condition and that this is something that genuinely happens. And so Max is like, I've been married with her for, you know, so so many years, probably, you know, 17 years at this point, based off of the age of the kids. There's some weird shit going on there that I don't like because it makes Charmaine look like a housebreaker because she's like, you don't deserve this. And she's like trying to flirt with Max Hardcore. I'm like, bitch, you better back off. Like, I don't like it. And so and Max is like, I've dealt with it for so long. We we have a system, you know, we have the agreement that, you know, any of the altars have to partake in and as part of the family. And it's cool. At this point in time, like in between everything they had mentioned, like. Or and then we get to the next scene, which shows T on the couch and she's painting her nails. And then Max comes back to her and, and <laughs> T's like, you know, she's that 
horny 15 year old girls like i see that half chub you have sporting there and she and he's like i'm not hard whatsoever she's like well you can come sit on my lap if you want or blah 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 t feels frustrated because she's not out as many as the other ones which this is kind of like a good foreshadowing because we hear that alice comes out more than t or the other alters Alice actually isn't introduced in this episode, that's so that I'm excited to see the other alters that are in the show. We get two alters in this show, T and Bud, who Bud comes out here very shortly. But Buck. Buck, excuse me. I thought it was Bud. Oh, correct. We have Buck and T that are in this. I'm pretty sure. I don't think it's Bud. Now I have to double check. I bet it's Buck. It's something with a B. But... T starts, like, grinding on Max and starts making out with Max. Max immediately stops it, like, after two or three seconds and is like, (laughs) you're not my wife. I don't feel comfortable with this. And she's like, oh, come on. You know you want it. So it's, again, that weird teenager mentality. And so Max says that she needs to go to the shed. And apparently the shed is going to be another kind of like foreshadowing thing because we see her go out there. Marshall starts playing loud music to drown out whatever sound is happening in the backyard in the shed. So this is kind of like the release almost or the tantrum shed where if alters need to feel stressed out or anything like that or anything else like shifting or like other that they go to the shed and that's like their timeout time where they need to like vent their frustrations marshall's a really cool kid like he apparently understands this stuff like i think more than anyone in the family because he's like totally cool with it as soon as that scene happens max is in the shower tara is back and she gets in the shower with max and is like totally cool i thought it was going to be a weird like one-off where T tries to pretend to be Tara, but it wasn't. It was her. And she tastes the lip gloss that makes her uh, feel like a porn star on Max's lips. And is like, did you make out with T? And he's like, yeah, but it was you. Or I mean, like, can you blame me? It was your body and I'm attracted to you. So and he's like, I just don't like that. It's like, I'm sorry. I stopped it, though. And so it's that whole. Well, it's not a default thing. It's like it's you but it's not you type thing so they express it it's like i understand it's not you but it's hard to detach from that situation so they have a discussion about it not necessarily an argument just a discussion like i hate when t comes up and i hate when she shows off because she's trying to make me sexier than i am per se i guess but then she she's like, you know what, I'm going to dip into it a little bit more. So she uses this as an excuse and she gets all dressed up and goes to bed with Max. So she gets on her laundry and she feels sexy. She's not the 15 year old girl per se, but she feels good about her body and feels good about what's happening. I'm not sure if it gets brought up in this episode or later, but at some point you you learn that particularly between T and Max, like, there was a sexual relationship between that alter mm. and Max. I think they, they kind of... They had to come up with, essentially, this agreement of, nope, mm. I'm not comfortable with this, this is not okay, and for them to have this open communication, which the show, up to this point, is also doing a great job of showing communication, 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 mm-hmm. where it seems like a polar opposite of Shameless, like, there's very little communication happening. Yep. very little stuff. Just the communication in the sense, like, hey, we need to pay, pay the utility bill. <laughs> Instead, that's, like, the most, like, in sync everyone is in that family, versus here, they're, like... All the alters are part of the family, so they have to sit down and have dinner with us, just like everyone else, blah, blah, blah. 
And and there's also the other thing to comment on is that in the United States of Terror, they are also a well-off family. They have a nice house. Yes. They mm-hmm. have a nice jobs, yeah. job security, yep. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're well off. I don't think it's expressed what Max does in this. I think he's like some sort of construction worker, and obviously Terror's like a painter and like a a de- interior designer. But then we get to the next scene, so it's like the next day, you know. Tara's looking at her fingernails. She sees that her fingernails and toenails are polished. So it's it's another example of like, hey, I didn't do this, but I'm seeing the consequences or like or, you know, the the events that unfolded while I was gone type thing. And I've dealt into a lot of discussion with other people or I've watched a lot of interviews like, you know, you wake up the next morning and you see that like she is, she has black fingernail polish on and she doesn't remember doing that. That would be disconcerting for anyone, let alone someone that has DID. So, and, and then they, they're going to, uh, I think, if I recall correctly, uh, Kate comes back that same night and she's with her boyfriend who's like, you know, he's pre-weave. He's like got the Japanese samurai knots and he says that Kate is kawaii and she's like, that means it's cute, right? And I'm like, <laughs> just, <laughs> just like fuck? I want to kill this guy. I want to kill this guy right now. Like uh, I'm a nerd, but I'm not like on that level. <laughs> and this guy is such a douche. Like he's got like the fucking like you know hatchback and everything like that. And he thinks he's so cool and edgy. It's so like mid two thousands goth kid. Like yeah, uh... mm-hmm. uh huh. Like like this is right before you know, or like right after My Chemical Romance was big. So he's got like you know the the chain pants, pants and everything. Huh. Like, yeah, huh. uh, just huh. <laughs> let's just what once more for the audience. Huh. <laughs> uh, anyways, that that happens through the entire scene, and they're making out and stuff like that, and they do have sex, but. I don't know. It doesn't. It definitely doesn't seem like this is Kate. I mean, it it's Kate's first like love or romance in high school. So she's not. I mean, she's in love, but not actually understanding what being in love mm-hmm. is. And so the next scene is is we get uh, Tara dropping off or coming to pick up Kate, and Kate is fighting with this boyfriend, and he is actually getting very aggressive and like shaking her and grabbing her like. Not necessarily hitting, but he is definitely getting, like, hands on her. And Tara is freaked out, jumps out of the car, and is like, hey, what are you doing? Kate is embarrassed because mom's making a big scene before, like, when everyone else was ignoring the aggression that was happening. And so Kate's like, fuck off. Kate, at this point in time, has gotten the lead role in this ballet, and so she's really excited. Tara's dropping off the dress for it because the concert is that day. So she's dropping it off so she can get ready. Kate blows up in her face saying, like, I can't believe you're doing this. You're weird. I don't want you to be this assertive and stuff. Kate gets back to the car, is crying and freaking out, and then she shifts again. And then this is when we start to see the introduction of Mr. (laughs) Buck. Buck himself. And the way they do it is great because, again, the Tony's, like, range is just so amazing because she can show that, like, we've all had probably those points in time when we're, I mean, as a person, like, 
if we can't deal with the emotions we have, we kind of just shut off and just go a little numb to everything. She just completely just goes blank slate, and then you see her reach for the glove compartment, grab a pack of smokes, and then some aviator sunglasses, put those on, and start smoking like a chimney, and just driving to hard rock metal and everything. And you're like, oh no, so this is like someone heavy duty. She gets home, we see her going through her wardrobe, and we see... Uh, Buck himself like getting changed he's got the straight up like we and and we see that everyone has their own wardrobe because Buck has got the sleeveless like flannel jacket he's got the full on redneck got the beer cap and everything with like the fishing line on it and everything and Marshall's downstairs making some muff cupcakes of triumph I believe they are so like you know celebratory cupcakes and it doesn't age well but buck is very much like homophobic and just like you know aggressive because like what's with these weird gay cupcakes and everything these are muffins of triumph for kate and he's like oh that's cool so and he puts a cigarette out in one of them and cracks open a cold budweiser max comes home and is like hey buck oh (laughs) hey buck um we're going to go to Kate's thing and we would really appreciate it if you came along. And he's like, I ain't going to go to, to, you know, slur ass, like, uh, ballet stuff. And Max is like, well, maybe we need to call Dr. Ocean about, you know, having, (laughs) having, uh, being less selfish. And apparently Marshall interjects and says, well, Dr. Ocean is on leave, you know, this weekend. And he's like, cool. And so, they they kind of do some reverse psychology with Buck and just convince that Kate really wants Buck to be there. And so Buck shows up and they're watching Kate perform this ballet and Buck is actually getting into it. Like he's been this hardened guy and then Marshall even interjects. So like Buck and like Marshall have this weird thing where Buck doesn't necessarily enjoy Marshall's company because he thinks he's a little bit quote unquote queer or gay and and that doesn't vibe with buck's situation like they went to like he remember like there's a flashback where all three of them go to the shooting range and he's like i'm gonna go to the shooting range like uh no that's a guy thing but we're gonna go to kate's thing and they see you know max and buck shooting guns and then marshall's there reading a magazine or something like that so like Bucks the, you know, quote-unquote redneck AR-15 America guy. He's a man's man. He's a man's man. Ready to go to, I don't know, wherever. But he does that, and so we get flashback, and we just see the correlation between Marshall and Buck. <laughs> and Marshall, go like, leans over to Buck while he's watching, and he's like, oh, you're enjoying this. And he's like, shut up. And he, like, you know, gives him, like, a a slap across the top of the head kind of just gives him like a noogie almost a weird thing and as soon as the performance is done buck is like the one guy to start like the standing ovation like he's like yeah and then kate kate sees this and realizes that tara has shifted to buck and so she feels a little uncomfortable with this because it's not her mom seeing the performance it's buck And you can definitely tell that that has, like, shaking her a little bit, but she does appreciate it. And then Buck is giving congratulations to her, giving her, like, kudos and stuff like that. We get outside, and the boyfriend, whatever his name is, 
Kawaii Chan. He <laughs> he freaking like loses his shit or some shit and is starting to get aggressive and then Buck starts beating the living piss out of him just like starting like hey you don't talk to her that way so we're getting like the assertive mom dad vibe from Buck and just starts like kicking him and whatnot and starts getting a fist fight. Eventually it finally gets broken up and Kate's actually kind of happy that you know Buck stood up for her and everything. And then they go bowling. This is the end of the episode and it's a good family dynamic where they're like enjoying bowling. Buck is showing Marshall how to actually do this and is actually like preventing the kids from drinking beer. So he's like the good paternal father figure, even though he's got like this grizzled attitude and he actually is enjoying their company. It's a guy's night with plus Kate <laughs> effectively. And they're doing all this. And then Kate makes the remark is like, you know, out of all the altars, it really baffles me and intrigues me that, Buck is the only one that's left-handed because he's got the he's got the wrist strap and everything, and it's like, and Max is like, huh, you know that is funny. I always found that interesting, and that's kind of where they end the note, and that's where the episode goes from there. Just this nice little, hey, congratulations on being, you know, first, uh, you know, being the understudy and getting the position and performing. You did great. Let's go have bowling after beating the piss out of your boyfriend. <laughs> so, and that's where it ends. So. What did you think of the show, like, as a whole? I loved it. I really enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. Again, like, briefly brought up, there's a couple of articles and even just video interviews I've found with people with DID. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like this does a better job of, like, showing the, like, medical and scientific side of DID versus, like, Split, which, I mean, there's a good range there, but it doesn't show like you can have supernatural abilities per se versus like just like i said at the end there oh yeah buck's left-handed out of all of the characters here they do have different conditions so it's interesting who oh boy did as far as a diagnosis who oh boy yeah there is a lot of discussion as to whether or not this is a valid mental disorder or mm -hmm. not right uh, and it, it has its roots in like there was one real I say real case, as in it was the one that uh, evidence, et cetera, et cetera. And then there was a slew of cases that were fraudulent. Right. And I think just because not a lot of people have it doesn't necessarily mean it gets discounted. Mm -hmm. And I think there's the argument in the psychology community, too. Like, okay, well, how many people to, has to have it for it to be included in the DSM, which the DSM also it becomes important for stuff like legal, right? If you're going oh, to yeah. court. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How you're going to maybe non-voluntary be put into a mental hospital. Like, there are elements that go into it. So I think one of my favorite things, and one of the things that you did a good job highlighting is the communication, but showing that this is a family that has done therapy together. The, do we need to call Dr. Ocean? Well, Dr. Ocean's actually not here this weekend. So like, everyone's on the same page. Everyone mm -hmm. knows how to handle these situations, or at least has come to learn how to handle the majority of common situations, right? Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting perspective. It isn't a family trying, being torn apart because they have no idea what's going on. Like that, all that, all that origin is done with. Mm -hmm. This is you being thrown into the discomfort cycle, particularly in the pilot episode of what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like I said, like Max and Tara have been married for 17 odd years at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the entire family's been affected by it. So Kate and Marshall, they've grown up with this. They're, you know, used to it. 
Marshall doesn't get along with Buck very well. T now that Kate is a teenager, I'm sure T is a like, you know, the best friend that she only occasionally has. I don't know. It brings me back to like when we talked about like Doom Patrol and like Crazy Jane and everything like that with the altars and everything like that. That's obviously a little bit more heightened fictionalized than anything else. But just the sense that all these people have their own personalities and everything like that. And they can shift at any point in time to fit the stressors of the original marker. So, Ethan, I know you spend some time on TikTok. Yes. Like a minute or two. Only two. Have have you found DID TikTok? Yes, I have. I found Tourette's TikTok and I found DID TikTok. <laughs> DID TikTok is a very interesting place to be. And I was a tourist. Mm-hmm. I can say that. I just it, when they started popping up again uh, as as a psych student, I was curious because the only cases I've ever, ever really seen were highly popularized or TV shows, movies. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, Assuming to be true, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to assume that anyone's putting on a facade. Right. What What would this look like naturally? And there are some amazing videos made. I think some of the like, my quote unquote favorite ones are seeing shifts happening, but mm-hmm. in response to audio, when it's like, hey, put these earbuds in and close your eyes. And you can see those shifts happening in real yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And then in the description, the person is comfortable enough, A, sharing that experience, but also detailing, like, hey, yeah. person A, I was listening to this, I got scared. So if person B came out, and then when the loud noise happened, person C came out, who's the protector altar. And like, Seeing those are fascinating and not in a ah, monkeys in a cage way. No, it's just mm-hmm. it's cool that we live in an age where people feel comfortable sharing these experiences and have a platform to share these experiences. I think it's I, I don't know if I we probably have talked about this previously, but like maybe not on the show. But um, there is if if you know Anthony Padilla and everything like from Smosh Origin and everything, but he has an interview session that he does like I spent a day with blank so and so. He has a video out there where he spends a day with alternates that are like with multiple personality or DID people. And there's this one girl, she also has a YouTube channel that I actually follow because of this interview, but she shifts like two or three times like in the interview. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting thing just to see how it goes, because it's not that she manipulates it. It's actually that these alters also want to come and share the spotlight mm-hmm. almost in an, in another sense of the term. I'll I think it's it's a cool interview and I think it does really well. I'm going to obviously talk about it to this you with right uh, now, Crazy but... Jane. It's sounding familiar. Yeah, maybe. I think I think I probably did, too, because you and I we're both. I mean, obviously, one is more of a psychology buff than the other but that's eventually the road that i'll probably take in life but i think it's always so cool to to discuss that stuff so i have some bad news Uh uh-oh a i i love the show to death and i i'm glad that you enjoyed it too can i'll 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 give you my predictions for the show because like i i've talked about this like there have definitely been like foreshadowings in this episode that they did really well for a pilot episode you know they talk about alice we don't see the alter alice whatsoever in the show which i'm excited to see in for yes i'm going to continue the show absolutely and I'm excited for it. I was kind of like looking at some synopsis of previous episodes or like the next episodes up front. So I was like, I, I want to know what I to expect in the show forward. We we have Alice. We have the weird 
like interaction between Charmaine and Max. I feel like Charmaine's going to try and do stuff with Max and it's either going to be weird temptation with stress and everything like that. And that may happen. We have Dr. Ocean, which we don't see, which I'm not sure if will be a thing in the future where we see a session. We have the tape confessionals of Tara. I feel like even though it doesn't seem like she late, like, T actually, from what I can tell from the scene, actually laid down the video tape onto the stack of other tapes. So it's like, I don't know if all the other alters do their own video confessionals or if it's just Hera and then they're aware of it. But I feel like there's going to be some sort of blow up between all the video confessionals Tara has about the other alters or vice versa, and it's gonna, like, kind of blow up with all those videotapes, because there was, like, a stack of them in the scene. But I'm excited to see either, like, you know, interactions with seminars with Dr. Ocean, or just see more, and again, we don't know how many alters at this point in time that Terra has, hence the United States of Terra. That could allude to being 50. <laughs> I don't know. 50 would be a lot, but at the same time, everyone's DID is different, so... I'm excited for what the show holds. So about my bad news. Uh-oh. The show gets fucking ripped off and it's horrible. It hits a point, oh, no. I think it was like mid-season three, they found out they weren't going to get another season, that they were canned. Oh, no. So the last half of season three is rushed, it's clunky, and it does not feel good. Like, particularly after all the craftsmanship you'll go through for like, oh, the first two and a half seasons. And at first you think they wrote themselves into a wall. Not really. I think there's a lot more that Diablo Cody and team of writers wanted to make. Uh, a lot more stories to tell, at least. But the ending of the United States of Terra is one of the most disappointing like endings, finales, oh, where you're just no. like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't feel right. There's just something that's missing here. And maybe if we had a few more seasons to elaborate, maybe it just feels super rushed. But I say that I can't recommend the show enough to people. So I'm really glad. I say it to people. Mm -hmm. I'm like, have you seen this? No. You should no. really watch it. Sure, whatever. So I got to force you to do it. And it was great. And I'm glad you liked it. It really intrigues me that this was like, again, I think this was Showtime. And mm -hmm. both of the shows we reviewed was uh, the Showtime Network. And oh, yeah. this was right before, I, I kind of looked into it a little bit more. This show ended right when the L word started on Showtime. Oh. Oh, interesting yeah so it's an interesting concept of like oh we we're going with like abnormal psychology and then we go to the lgbtia plus community immediately afterwards so showtime kind of does an interesting job of like showing like i don't know familial stuff or like actual activism or social uh like concepts i think which awareness? is interesting yeah social awareness that's the word so yeah yeah i i really enjoy the show i was like since we had a week in between this, I was like chomping at the bit to start it, but I did wait and I was like, I need to get this review finished so I can go back and rewatch it. So that's how eager I am to continue this show. I I hope you send me live DMs about it. Oh, yeah. Just like how you sent me live stuff about all the other shows we watched and <laughs> how, we, how you watched practically all of Harley Quinn afterwards. <laughs> okay, so like... By the way, as far as plagues, <laughs> plague watching goes, I did not watch a lot in Plague Prime. Can I call it that? Is that too soon still? Mm. Uh, like in that April, March, May time, I did not watch a lot of TV. I am just now 
getting into the Re- quarantine mm-hmm. binging. But it's because stuff like Warrior Nun and Cursed. And I decided to officially watch New Girl. So, like, New Girl's on the block now. Oh, and man. I watched three this... episodes on and then I stopped. That's the very first time I watched it. That's how I was. So, yeah. I am now getting into the meat of binging, which only means because this project, our season two, has gone on for so long. Not that I'm complaining. It's just that it's probably gonna be about October before we're done. There's I, so many more shows that are that are. <laughs> we're trying a, to play catch up. Yes, I we just, have so much material. Even longer than season one, we talk about. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, this is already an hour and a half long. So I guess out of <sighs> seven of Buck's cigarettes. What rating mm. do you give United States of Terra? I would give it five smokes out of five. Five out of five? Five out of I five. I mean, I gave you seven, but okay. Oh, sorry. Seven. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Seven out of seven. I, nice. I heard five. Yeah. Five out of, or seven out of seven cigarettes. <laughs> Still five. Oh my God. No. I'm set on five. No. Uh, seven. Yeah. I'd give it, I, I'd give it a full, full rating on, on this pilot. Um, I guess, and I didn't ask you, out of, out of six uh, clothes washers, what would you rate Shameless out of six out of six clothes washers? You know, washing machine. Yeah, that too. Is that the word you're looking for right now? Mm, no, clothes washers. <laughs> let's, 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 clothes washers. You still a little, a little warm over no, there. No, I'm actually coming down. I'm just being dumb right now. <laughs> oh. No, let you know what? Let's let's try and find something more creative. Oh no, that was um, good. I like clothes washers. Okay, <laughs> let's let's keep with that. So, out of out of six washing machines, what would you give Shameless? It's either six washing machines or six blowjobs. One of the two. <laughs> oh goodness! Oh gosh! Every time, like the last few episodes we've had of these, like I know the score I want to give it subjectively, but objectively, mm-hmm. subjectively, it's like a two out of five or six, however many you gave me. Two out of six. Okay, I gave you six. Yeah, because I hated it. Did not like it. I do not want to go back to it. And actually, I think the two is me giving it the benefit of the doubt that, like, I see, I see what people right. like about it. What, um, I guess, obviously, we talk about the plots and the stories a whole lot more, but on the technical end, like, camera and everything oh, like yeah. that, did you, how did you think the camera and, like, uh, you know, cinematography for it? I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I felt like I expected 2011 TV to be, like, it had that like mm-hmm. forced cinematography as if it's a movie because that, yeah. that was like really popular, particularly for Showtime HBO shows. Yeah, I think I like the cinematography more on the shameless end of things mm-hmm. than I did like the United States of Terror. Granted, there's like a two year gap between the two shows starting. So I think obviously, United States of Terror was more single camera. And there are a lot of weird like cut frames i guess in that first pilot episode for shameless like there were a lot of weird like interjections where they had some slow-mo stuff happen so i get i guess on that end i i changed my mind i prefer united states of terror a little bit more on the on the technical end terror has more of a sitcom camera if not closer right because sitcoms can be like a whole scene a little a little bit more like scrubs or something like that where it's a single view camera yeah but yeah no they're just there's a lot happening in Shameless, and I get that the, it was purposeful, and I can appreciate the purpose. I just didn't mm-hmm. like it. The director for the first episode of Shameless, he's done a lot of other stuff. He's done, like, Game of Thrones. He's done he's done a lot of, like, higher-end episodes, but, like, this just seems so much of a, like, a flash dance than anything. There's... 
I, th- I really think if sh- that first pilot episode had been split into two, whether it was like a Buffy, hey, here's episode one, episode two airing on the same day. Yeah. For me personally, that pilot could have done a lot better if it just tried to tell you a little less information. Like we did not need the whole yeah. Steve romance storyline in a single episode. We did not need it. I feel like even just rewatching or like continue to watching Shameless right now. I feel like it would have benefited from like a half hour template just like Tara mm-hmm. is right now because like at certain points I'm like oh my god this is a 58 minute episode <laughs> and I am so like done with it I'm like oh shit I haven't even gotten to the next episode this is all stuff we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Well I think that ends our two hour rant. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so we don't have as much stuff to promote anymore. No this is true. <laughs> we don't have our thing that like we do and really you all only heard that for two episodes we record it for like seven but yeah. you all only hear it for two so ethan do you have any projects anything you want to promote no not at this moment i will let you know in the future when i do stuff but if you just want to hear my whimsical musings on twitter you can follow me at etay shaw I occasionally have some funny stuff on instagram or wherever that matters that's that's pretty much it Maybe eventually I'll do some some weird project, but we're we're in the works for that, so we'll see. Well, just because the network isn't here anymore, which we're not talking about, really, I can't control myself, and I put all that energy into a new project. So I'm still streaming, motherfuckers. Here I Hell am. Hell yeah. I'm still streaming. You can find me on Twitch at Roll for Alex, but instead of an E, it is a three. Because I grew up with Leet Speak. However, I was kindly reminded oh, yeah. I should have just put a four, the number for the word four. I'm like, shit, that makes more sense. Because everyone, you when I go rookie. to Twitch channels, are like, roll four three times. I'm like, no, uh, no, no, that's not what I wanted. Anyways, and the reason that is, is because I'm actually a big old dummy. And I definitely have roll for Alex spelled correctly. in one of my email accounts. I just can't figure out which one. So anyways, mm. follow me on Twitch. Roll for Alex. Spelled with a three instead of an E. And if you also like the sound of my beautiful voice, you can find me on the Firefly podcast as Captain Eris Camber. Mm, that's it these days. That's all I do. The only pitch I have is, well, I'm being reminded by my roommate playing it downstairs is, hey, no matter what you think of uh, Last of Us Part Two, go play it. Go play it's it. a great game, regardless of how you think of the plot. Just like how we think of these plots in our pilots. We still have our Discord, which is important. We do. Because that means you can come hang out with us in our Discord. Psst. This is the insert that John adds when I forget to credit our theme song properly. Our theme is Astronaut by the Spinwires from their Nights Out EP. But yeah, you should come totally hang out on our Discord. Hang out on our Discord, Cool Kids. Yeah, the Cool Kids channel. It's been renamed. It's Cool Kids channel. It's their Cool Kids channel. Come tell us how wrong we are, even though we know we're right. Do 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 do.